You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. I want to share with you an excerpt from an article I read. It was in a magazine called The American, which is actually a Jesuit magazine. Um, And it was describing some of the ways that people think about the afterlife, the way that Christians describe the afterlife, and the way that those opinions are shifting. It said in this one paragraph in the article that according to data released by the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life in a 2009 survey, not only do a quarter of Americans believe in reincarnation, but 24% of American Christians expressed a belief in reincarnation. And this represents a significant deviation from the traditional Judeo-Christian narrative with which most Christians in the baby boomer generation grew up. You were born, you lived, you died, and after a judgment, you went to heaven or hell forever. I read an article like this, and I'm a little bit disturbed. It's a little bit surprising to find out how many people who profess to follow Christ believe in reincarnation. But it's not terribly surprising, honestly, if you're aware of the syncretism of our age, the mixing of religious beliefs. There's sort of like this buffet where people feel like they can sort of choose what they like out of Christianity and maybe choose what they like out of Buddhism and choose what they like from this other spot of of spirituality as long as it makes them feel good and feel better about themselves. But what I find even more disturbing about an article like this one is that what it presents as the Christian, the traditional Christian narrative is also not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach that when we die, we go to heaven forever. That's something that has infiltrated the way that we think and talk as Christians, and it may, it's enough of a deep-seated belief for some of us that there may be those of you who are shocked to hear me say that even. But that is not what the Bible teaches about our ultimate state. That's what songs like I'll Fly Away, which is based on a prison song, the idea that this world and somehow our bodies are prisons, that one day I'll be able to escape and go away. That's how they present the gospel, but that is not how the Bible presents the gospel. As the Bible presents the gospel, our ultimate hope is not escape from this world into some other place like heaven. Our ultimate hope is in resurrection. The Christian hope is in resurrection. Yes, we will be with Christ when we die, but that is not the end. As N.T. Wright put it in his wonderful theology book, Surprised by Hope, which has had a huge impact on me, there is life after life after death. We oftentimes stop at the life after death. And, and I think there is, for many of us, I know that for my own, some of people in my family growing up, there was the sense that that doesn't seem right. In fact, like, that seems somehow boring or less, or, or like it's something I don't know if I really want, is just to go to this other place with clouds and sort of this removal of all things and this sort of stasis forever. And probably, at least in part, the reason that it doesn't feel right is because it's not right. It's not what we're destined for. The confusion about what happens after we die started very early in the church because we see it has already taken root in the church in Corinth um, in our reading from this morning. This is the problem that Paul was dealing with in our uh, in 1 Corinthians 15. In verses 12 and 13, which were just read for us, says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead 
then not even Christ has been raised. See what's going on here. The Corinthians aren't directly denying that Jesus was raised from the dead. What they're denying is that the final state of human beings, the final state of those who trust and follow Christ, is itself going to be resurrection. Paul doesn't here tell us exactly what they did believe. But given kind of what we know about some of the, the spirituality that was happening around that time, it's likely that they had some sort of idea of a spiritual escape, that we are going to have this, our, our bodies will fade away, we'll be released from the bodies, we'll be taken away, and we'll go to this other place and we'll be with Jesus forever, which is very similar to what I think a lot of American Christians believe about the actual final state of Christians. But Paul says you're forgetting that the hope that we have proclaimed is not, again, that escape. It is that you will come back to life in your bodies, that you will be raised, that you are not a soul as some separate part of you that is the real thing, and your body as some sort of shell that you can discard. All of it is together who God has made you to be. The way that I heard it, I've heard it says sometimes is that you don't have a soul, you are a soul. And if we try to separate those things out, then we are missing the point of what the hope that we have in Christ actually is. The entire gospel is founded upon the fact that what happened to Jesus also happens to us. What happened to Jesus also happens to us. He died for our sins. And so when we go into baptism and we identify with his death, we are really dead to sin because he died for our sins. But the flip side of that is he was raised from the dead. And so our hope that we have is we are looking forward to the day when we also will be raised from the dead. There's a sense in which that begins now. There's a sense in which we are entering into new life immediately when we decide to follow Jesus. But there's a sense in which our final hope has not yet come. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ was not raised either. If we deny our own resurrection, then we are implicitly denying what happened to Christ. Because what happens to, happened to Christ also happens to us. It is the resurrection upon which all of our hopes lie. Now, I want to be somewhat careful here as I'm using this language of resurrection, because in our own day and age, there's ways in which words sometimes that we use, when we intend one meaning for them, people hear it and they hear something else. And certainly within the church, there's a wide variety of views about what we are talking about when we actually mean resurrection. Um, Frederick Beekner, who was a famous author and Presbyterian minister, addressed those who would look for some other meaning in the resurrection than the actual physical restoral of our bodies. He was, um, as a pastor in a more liberal church. And so as he wrote books, he, he had experienced and seen lots of people who had talked about the resurrection and meant something else. And he says, we can say that the story of the resurrection means simply that the teachings of Jesus are immortal, like the plays of Shakespeare or the music of Beethoven, and that their wisdom and truth will live on forever. Or we can say that the resurrection means that the spirit of Jesus is undying, that he himself lives on among us, the way that Socrates does, for instance in the good that he left behind, in the lives of all who follow his great example. Or we can say that the language in which the Gospels describe the resurrection of Jesus is the language of poetry, and that as such it is not to be taken literally, but is pointing to a truth more profound than the literal. And he says that there are times that the Bible does speak in poetic language, but in the case of the resurrection, this simply does not apply because there really is no story about the resurrection in the New Testament except in the most fragmentary way, it is not described at all. 
there is no poetry about it. Instead, it is simply proclaimed as a fact. Christ is risen. In fact, the very existence of the New Testament itself proclaims it. Unless something very real indeed took place on that strange, confused morning, there would be no New Testament, no church, no Christianity. For many, he says, we try to reduce it to poetry anyway. The coming of spring with the return of life to the dead earth. The rebirth of hope in the despairing soul. We try to suggest that these are the miracles that the resurrection is all about, but they are not. In their way, they are all miracles, but they are not this miracle, this central one to which the whole Christian faith points. He goes on to talk about how there's a way that we protect ourselves in the same way that the Pharisees and the leaders tried to roll a a stone in front of the tomb. They didn't want the possibility of resurrection because they would recognize that if they were actually encountered that power, everything would change and everything would by necessity be different. And so we try to talk about other lesser miracles and we try to spiritualize it away sometimes. But he says, if I believed that this or something like this was all that the resurrection meant, that I would turn in my certificate of ordination and take up some other profession. Or at least I would hope I would have the courage to. I don't agree with Beekner's theology about everything, but on this point, I totally agree. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead did not happen, I'd hang up my stole, I wouldn't preach to you anymore. There'd be no point. What we have to offer, the hope that we have, is not some better way of living. It's not some way that we gather together and just sort of talk about nice things to make us feel better and prepare us for the week ahead. All of our hope rests on the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, that his body was laid in a tomb, and that he came out of it again alive because God raised him from the dead. Paul, in his passage that we just read, looks at several ways that if the resurrection didn't actually happen, then there really is no hope for us. First of all, he says that if the resurrection didn't happen, then everything we have been doing here as the body of Christ, everything we do when we gather on Sunday is just a lie. And we have founded it upon a lie. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. There's no use in following a liar. There's no use in living your life on a lie. If Jesus Christ was not raised from the dead, then everything about the Christian faith is a lie. And you should discard it, run from it. Because we are seeking after truth. Jesus himself told us that he is the way and the truth and the life. If he is not raised from the dead, then he's none of those things. He's not the way, he's not the truth, and everything we've said about him is a lie, and he certainly isn't life if he died and stayed dead. But that is not the case. That is not the case. Jesus was raised from the dead, and so our hope is real. What we proclaim is real. Paul goes on to say, not only is it just that you're basing your life on a lie if Jesus was not raised from the dead, but then if the resurrection didn't happen, then Christ was not really victorious over sin. In verse 17, he says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. As we said, what happened to Christ happened to us. And if he died for our sins and stayed dead, that means that sin won. 
It means that sin was victorious forever. That it killed the only way. That it killed the only source of life. And the world, flesh, and the devil won. If the resurrection didn't happen, our hope is in vain. There is no forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. But it did happen. And so there is forgiveness of sins. We pin our hope upon the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and that this is the way that God has seen fit to save us. Because if the resurrection didn't happen, we have no hope. Verse 18 and 19 says, Then those who are, have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we of all people are most to be pitied. If we have been sacrificing and giving up for the sake of the life to come, if we are heading towards suffering with joy because we know that ultimately God's vindication will come and we will be raised from the dead and we will have eternal life, then we have a hope that the world cannot disturb and touch and take away from us. But if we are believing everything because it is a lie, then there is no hope indeed that we're just going to die. And that's it. And death is the end. And everything that we've preached and taught about is not really, truly life at all. There's no hope in that. And even if we sort of twist the gospel to this idea that I am taken up and I'm, I'm with God forever, but that I remain in this disembodied state, and I don't ever experience resurrection, then there is still a way in which when we proclaim that, we're saying death has won. The plan that God had to create a world that is a good world was destroyed by sin and never repaired. Death has undone the plans of God. Death has given a lie to the fact that creation is good. That is not what we believe. We look forward to the new heavens and the new earth and the restoration of all things. Because of that, we can proclaim a real and true hope we can carry this hope into the world. The resurrection is the point upon which all Christian faith hinges. If it's not true, the whole thing falls apart. But if it is, if Jesus Christ was really raised from the dead, then everything else makes sense too. If the resurrection is true, then it's not so hard to believe that Christ walked the earth and that he taught. It's not so hard to believe that he was killed. It's not so hard to believe that he worked miracles. If God can raise a man from the dead, then of course he can heal. He can multiply food. He has control over the elements, like he can walk on water. If Christ was raised from the dead, it all makes sense. But if he wasn't, if he died, then everything that he did was founded upon a lie. Because Jesus himself said that he was going to come back from the dead. This is so, so important that we believe this. And that we really, truly believe in the resurrection. It's so important that it's worth taking a moment to say why we can believe and trust that this is true. 
First, as Paul was writing this, he had the witness of the apostles. If you go back to verses 5 through 7, which we talked about last week, it says that after he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, he appeared to Cephas, who's Peter, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. What he's doing here is he's giving a list of eyewitnesses who have seen Jesus after the resurrection. And in fact, when he wrote this, he's saying, there's still a lot of them who are alive. So you can go and talk to them. Verify what I'm saying. Go ask them, did you see him? Go talk to Thomas. Did you actually, did you touch him? Go talk to Peter. Did you, did you eat the fish on the beach? Did he really say to you to, lo- to feed my sheep? Did he really forgive you for your denial? This is what he wants them to do. He wants to go test this. Go talk to those who saw him. Because there are witnesses that have been given to us so that we can believe. Now, of course, we don't actually get to go talk to those witnesses. They've all fallen asleep now. But they recorded for us what they saw. They wrote down for us that they witnessed the risen Christ. And the records that we have of this are actually amazing. When you look at historical documents from 2,000 years ago, we have more information in the Gospels than just about any other historical event that actually occurred as far as written, written down what happened. We have like little fragments that tell us that Julius Caesar exists. But we have entire books that tell us about Jesus and his resurrection. The preservation of the Gospels from that time into this and the the continuity in which they have is actually amazing in and of itself. And it happened because these people were so convinced that what they saw was real and that what they saw was important that they protected these texts and handed them down and copied them so carefully to make sure that this tradition was passed down so that you would know what they saw and that you could trust what they saw. And then, of course, we don't just have the Gospels either. We have the book of Acts, which records this change in the apostles. One of the wonderful things about reading the Gospels is that you find out that they're a bunch of bumbling fools most of the time. They don't get it. They don't know what's happening. They're not, Jesus did not pick the best and the brightest. He didn't go and find the people who had been going to, you know, synagogue school for every day of their life and that were really deeply understood everything about the scriptures, who were the leaders and who were the teachers. He went and grabbed fishermen and tax collectors, and he said, follow me. And they made a mess of it most of the time. And then when Acts came, when the Pentecost came, and the Holy Spirit came upon them, their lives were changed, and they preached with power, and they suffered for the sake of Jesus, refusing to deny that they had seen him rise from the dead. They went and told the religious leaders who had the power to throw them into jail, by the way, you killed the man who rose from the dead. You killed God's Messiah. And even now, God is willing to forgive you. They went to the paralytic who was sitting by the gate and said, I don't have silver and gold to give you, but what I do have, I give you. Stand up and walk in the name of Jesus. And then when everybody's amazed, they said, are you you really amazed at this? It was not long ago that God raised a man from the dead. That's what you should be amazed at. That's the power that we have seen. That he can make this man walk? Who's surprised by that? God raised him from the dead. This was the message that Peter carried out. His life was changed forever because he encountered the risen Christ. 
And of course, Paul points to the fact that he had a similar encounter. In verse 8, he said, Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. He's referring to his time on the road to Damascus, where he was walking along, persecuting the church, who wanted to cause those who worked in the name, who gathered in the name of Jesus to suffer. And Jesus himself appeared to him and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And like Peter, Paul, this man who had fanatic zeal, who held on to what he believed about the Jewish faith, who was convinced that anyone who said anything against God should die and perish. His life was changed forever. And he went out with a new message. He says, I've seen him. I experienced the risen Lord. And what I want to do now is not to make you suffer for, for actually hurting him. What I want to do now is not to go out with the same sort of zeal that I had and where I was going to persecute and destroy all those who disagreed with what God has done. He still is going to go out with a message, but he says, now I will suffer. It changed Paul forever. He went from one who would persecute and fight to one who says, I will proclaim this with my last breath, no matter what you do to me. And I will give thanks that God has deemed me worthy to suffer for his name. And so Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, This is the testimony that I gave to you. Will you not believe it? The people who do not know of the resurrection now do not get to talk to Paul and Peter. They don't get to talk to the 500 to whom Jesus appeared. They get to talk to you and to me. We're going to carry forward the hope of the resurrection into the world. We have to live lives that demonstrate the same sort of power that motivated Peter, the same sort of power that motivated Paul. What's that going to look like for you and me? It's the same thing we've been talking about over this entire season of Epiphany. It's going to look like the risen Christ giving us the gift of his Holy Spirit and us living in the entirety of the gift of that Holy Spirit so that people see the way that we are moving forward into the world and they say, that is not the same as everyone else. There's something different about them. There is something that they have, a testimony that they have, that they are going to carry forward. God moved among them. God acted on their behalf. There are so many ways that this is going to show up in our lives if we really truly believe that the resurrection power of God has been given to us. That the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead has been granted to us in the gift of the Holy Spirit. First, we will move into the world with freedom from sin. When I was at the Synod this week, Bishop Thad was preaching um, about the Holy Spirit, and he, he was an amazing preacher. Um, if you haven't watched any of those online, I recommend watching them. It's amazing just to watch him. First of all, he looks like, I think, what Paul looked like. He's kind of a wiry man, but with like a tremendous amount of energy. I'm not sure. I think he's around 80 years old, but he has got so much energy. I think that he could outrun me in a race. When he's animated and preaching by the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's incredible to watch. But at the same time, he also knows the scriptures so well. He is able to jump back and forth, and, and, and he just knows it deeply. 
And one of the things that he talked about is the fact that if we are going to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, then we need to be a people who actually live into the promises that he has given us, that we are free from sin. We have the forgiveness of sin in Jesus, yes, but we also have freedom from sin. And so many of us live as if sin still has dominion over us, as if we do not have access to this Holy Spirit of God. We don't believe that the resurrection power lives within us in a way that gives us freedom from sin. And I don't mean that that's going to immediately mean that nobody ever sins again. That's not the gospel. I don't even mean that it might not be work to step away from sin. But I do mean that there is real and true hope. Hope around things that the world tells us that there is no hope. The world thinks lust is inevitable. That everybody's going to suffer from it. In fact, the world actually ends up proclaiming that it's good. That it's something that you just have to give in to because it makes you feel better and anything that makes you feel better is in fact good. The world tells us that pornography is just okay. And it's just something that's going to be a fact of life in the 21st century. The Bible says no. The Bible says you've been freed from sin. And it does not have dominion over you. You can give it up with the power of the Holy Spirit moving in you. The world tells us that we're going to hate our enemies. The world tells us that the division that is growing means that you have to sort of pick a side at a tribe and decide who you're going to love and who you're going to hate. And you're supposed to like everybody who's in your in-group, and you're supposed to go and hate everybody who's not in that group. But we are given the power of the Holy Spirit which shows up above all other gifts that he gives us in the gift of love. We can love even those who persecute us. We can be like Paul, where we say, I will suffer for the name of Jesus because I will hold on to this hope. Yes, one day I will die. You can destroy this body. But I will be raised again to new life in Christ, just as Christ himself was raised from the dead, into an imperishable life that will never go away. And because of that, I can move in love right now because I don't have to, to fight for my little spot in, in where I fit into everything right now. Because I am confident of the hope that I have. I am confident of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I am confident that that same power, that where God raised Christ from the dead, that he's going to raise me from the dead as well. And so I can suffer for the name of Jesus. We can move from this place with a peculiar hope, in fact. Because one of the things that happens when you um, believe that everything is just going to be removed is it's hard to actually love this world if you just think that you're going to escape it. If you start thinking of the world as a prison, then it's hard to actually love the things that God loves. It's hard to love the people that God loves. It's hard to look at creation and see it as something good. In its worst examples, I have seen people who have literally said, and I'm not even sure if they entirely believed it themselves, but who said that the world's going to be destroyed anyway one day, so we can just destroy it now. God's going to bring fire on it anyway. Why do we want to actually do anything to care for the world? What does it matter? 
But the hope that we have is not ultimately in the destruction of the earth. The hope that we have is in the new heavens and the new earth. It's resurrection not just for us, but for everything. That all things are being gathered into Christ. Because of this, one of the things that's amazing here is that the actual atoms that make up my body probably aren't going to be the same in the new heavens and the new earth. I don't know exactly what God's going to do and how that's all going to work. But I'll still be me. There's a sense in which all that God is doing in me right now is going to continue into the new heavens and the new earth. And there is a sense in which when we serve and love others, that those acts of love and service and kindness will be taken up with us into the new heavens and the new earth, and that God is going to restore and redeem those. And so we can have a real hope that looks not just to the end of things, but to the beginning beyond the end. We can move in this world in the power of the Holy Spirit, showing love, showing suffering, using all the gifts that he has given us for the sake of his name. And we can do this because Christ has been raised from the dead. We'll proclaim this again as we do every week when we come to the table. We talk about gathering around the table to share the hope that we have in Christ. This is what we're talking about. That Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Because of that, we have a real and ever-living hope that we can share with one another and that we can share with the world. So as we continue in worship today, do so in hope, with the hope that we have in Christ, whom God raised from the dead. This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, please visit us on the web at www.christourhopeanglican.org. Thank you.